The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 109 of the Book of Mormon podcast. Kevin and Shelby here. Hey everyone. And today we are finishing our discussion about Alma chapter 19. Super excited. We're starting around verse 17. Uh, If you haven't listened to the previous episode, definitely go back and do that to get caught up. Actually, if you have time, listen to the last 108 episodes, (laughs) just so you're fully caught up. (laughs) Okay. Oh, man, that's funny. Uh, If you don't have time for that, you know, just try to listen to last week's episode. Now, we kind of moved past it last week in verse 16. Um, We didn't move past it. We took on our own, not interpretation, but just our own thoughts and feelings. But I did want to share some thoughts that one of our institute teachers shared with us about this verse um, and the story of Abish in general. And apparently the name Abish Uh, in Hebrew, means father is a man. And when it talks about her um, receiving a, or an account of a remarkable vision of her father, um, there's something about that where our, our institute teacher wondered if maybe she had seen Heavenly Father. It wasn't that she had had this account of her father, but it was a remarkable vision of her father, of her Heavenly Father. Um, So she saw God herself. So I just wanted to throw that out there um, and then also ask Shelby if she remembered that. I do remember that, actually. And... I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was her seeing Heavenly Father or if it was an account of her father, like her earthly father. So, but either way, I think you can learn lessons from both examples. Right. So I guess that's something we'll have to ask her when we meet her. (laughs) Definitely. We took a different direction last week in terms of, you know, how other, other people's faith and their experiences with the Savior can uh, actually sustain our faith and help grow our faith. And I, I kind of wanted to pull the thread throughout our discussion, at least the early part of our discussion today, about faith-promoting stories. Because, Shelby, you and I have had many conversations about this where someone will show a, a or share a story, an experience in sacrament meeting, and especially on testimony meeting days, mm-hmm. of maybe <clears throat> a very personal, a very important experience that they had with the Spirit. And no pun intended, but it doesn't seem to translate very well to to other people, or at least it doesn't, it doesn't sit. I don't want to say sit well. It doesn't mean the same thing to me as it meant to them because of my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I'm generally referring to stories that have to do with, you know, being protected because someone was wearing their garments. Um, because there's also people who were wearing their garments, who got to a car accident and they died. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how, how do, you, do you say? How do you justify that? Or how do you, how can you? 
My it, my point, yeah. last thing I'll say, and then I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts, Shel. The, the point of a faith-promoting story is not to cause more questions in the minds of those hearing it. And if it's not rooted in doctrine, if it's rooted in folklore, as I've heard it described before, um, you're not you're not telling a faith promoting story uh, where other people's faith can be strengthened. You're really just you're kind of bragging about your spirituality and your higher understanding of something that oh, if everyone else just understood this, you know, maybe things would be better for them. I don't know. What, what's your take, Sheldon? I don't think I really have a take. Oh, that's okay, too. I agree with you. <laughs> We're unified? Yeah, we are unified. <laughs> We've had many conversations about it. But I think your point is that this is this what we're going to see here is a faith-promoting story. It's not the other that you just explained. Right. I, I think all of Chapter 19 is full of faith-promoting stories that either are, are being told about previous things or um, in the moment, these are strengthening the faith of those who witness um, the events. So, well, let's go ahead and dive in already to, to verse 17. We learn, and we touched on this a little bit last week, but we learned that, that Abish, in verse 17, thus having been converted to the Lord and never having made it known, therefore, when she saw that all the servants of Lamoni had fallen to the earth and also her mistress, the queen and the king and Ammon lay prostrate upon the earth, she knew that it was the power of God. Before we go on, I have to add, I have to ask the question, why would she never have made it known? Didn't we talk about this last week? I don't think we did. I think we talked about it after the recording was off. Well, and if we did talk about it, then I forgot because I put, I put new notes beside it. Well, I think it's, I thought I remember talking about it and the fact that she, um, she was living among people who didn't believe in Christ. They only believed in this great Mm. spirit. So how is she going to go around and say these things? It wasn't the time or the season, but she still knew in her heart. That's right. I, I think we did touch on that. Yeah. I wanted to share some, some fresh thoughts about it. And you can actually follow the footnote to the Joseph Smith history Mm -hmm. on the word no, uh, or known, never having made it known. (laughs) And it takes you to the account of Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery as they received the Aaronic priesthood from the hands of John the Baptist. And uh, I'll read it. It's uh, Joseph Smith history, verse 74, because there's just one chapter. Our minds being now enlightened, we began to have the scriptures laid open to our understandings and the true meaning and intention of their more mysterious passages revealed unto us in a manner which we never could attain to previously, nor ever before had thought of. In the meantime, we were forced to keep secret the circumstances of having received the priesthood and our having been baptized owing to a spirit of persecution which had already manifested itself in the neighborhood so i mean i think we're if you know an apostle decided to put that footnote there i think we're definitely on the right track where the only reason that abish didn't make known her testimony and her conversion story to those that she lived with was because of not just possible, but probable persecution that she would have suffered and she would have gone down like, like a Benedine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I mean, maybe, and Sheldon, you might be right. We might've already discussed all this, but I, I do think that that was a new connection that I made. I wanted to share it. It was, I don't think you shared that last week, but I just remember thinking it wasn't the time or the season for her to share and that be because of the divine design of the Lord, this was her moment and her time to share. 
the timeline. And I love how she, and it's referred to as an opportunity now. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk more about that? Well, it was her time because we, we, we really, we talked a lot about 17 last time, but she saw this as an opportunity to then go and share her testimony because it was finally, it was finally the time, (laughs) you know, like what's his, I'm forgetting his name, Ammon. (laughs) He had to have that experience with Lamoni coming into the land and all these things had to be set up in place in order for then Abish and these, you know, King Lamoni and the queen and everyone to fall to the earth, including Ammon. Um, She just saw it as an opportunity that I know exactly what this is. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to do something about it. And so she, because of that, she wants to make it known to everybody and wants the power of God to be known. And so she goes forth. It says she ran forth from house to house, making it known unto the people. And she made such a big stir among the people that they all became, they all began to assemble themselves together um, to the house of the king. So all these people are flocking to the area. I'm, I'm assuming like some type of castle or something, but they're all coming to the area where they're like, is this lady right or is this lady wrong? Like what's really going on? So they're going to see with their own eyes. And they see that says, and there came a multitude and their astonishment. They beheld the king and the queen and their servants prostrate upon the earth. And they all lay there as though they were dead. And they also saw Ammon, and behold, he was a Nephite. So they they observed this, and I don't know if you have anything else to say. Yeah. Okay. I felt like you did, so that's why I paused. <laughs> so I want to draw attention to the word astonishment or mm. astonished, which will kind of show up several times. Uh, throughout the rest of this chapter mm-hmm. and also in the next chapter. And, you know, I think we've, we've talked about this recently, like what the definition of astonish or astonished was in the 1828 Webster's dictionary to kind of get like, and it means basically the same thing as it does mean today. Right. Which is. Well, to, to be like struck okay. in wonder like amazement amazement yeah. right but i would propose that when we see the word astonished in the scriptures it's a form of witness from the holy ghost and what the holy ghost is able to do there is suspend the hard-heartedness right that that occurs in people. So for example, so for example, these people come and at first they're astonishment uh, or they're astonished. And, but then they see that Ammon's a Nephite in the midst of them. And then they begin to murmur in verse 19 and i just think it's funny though at the verse at the end of verse 18 where it's like behold he was a nephite and i think it's funny that mormon decided to add that in his commentary but the purpose of it is to show that hey these people had misgivings about nephites and it caused them to misjudge the situation well yeah because you have to think at this point only the king, queen, and a few of his servants have come to know who this great spirit is, you know, who Jesus Christ is. So the culture is still very much like <laughs> he's a Nephite, you know, he's evil, he's out to get us, or, you know, what whatever the culture, the thoughts were at the time. So, yeah, <laughs> he felt to – I get why he put it there, so he could – help us understand the mind of why they're beginning to murmur. Yeah. And I want to, I want to link, cause we've talked about murmuring before, but it's been a long time since we've talked about like the definition of murmuring. And 
the first thing I want to do is I want to I want to go to Third Nephi, uh, chapter two, and this is a wonderful couple verses that shows you the like the process of apostasy, and it's after a period of time where there's been many signs and wonders about the, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is in the years 5 to 16 AD. And we know that even in the New World, there were all these wonders that occurred to signify Christ's birth. And it says that it came to pass, um, the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard. And it began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts and blind in their minds and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen, imagining up some vain thing in their hearts that it was wrought by men, meaning the signs and wonders, right? Oh, this was probably some uh, falsehood, you know, something that they, you know, it's, it's a deception. But really, um, it's Satan who's getting the possession of the hearts of the people insomuch that he did blind their eyes and lead them away to believe that the doctrine of Christ was a foolish and a vain thing. So you see that when we become less and less astonished, there's room for more and more hard-heartedness. Hmm. So, like you know, I, I don't have all my ducks in a row on what this astonished thing means in the scriptures, but I think we have a little bit of a, a thread that we can begin pulling and it comes up again and again over the next couple pages in the book of Mormon. And, um, something, I mean, just to back up that example in third Nephi, it's, it's also an example here in Alma 19 that they rebuked him, uh, meaning, Ammon, I'm assuming. Oh, no. <laughs> it says, <laughs> but others rebuked them, saying, The king hath brought this evil upon his house, because he slew his servants who had had their flocks scattered at the water of Sebus. So they're actually, at this point, blaming the king for what's happening. So they're finding, they're finding excuses, reasons to not be astonished anymore, right? Yes. Their hearts, and like Kevin said, the hearts and the minds of the people are becoming more and more blind and hardened to the glories and mysteries of God, right? And um, they also gave another excuse, I, I would say. I, I would call them excuses <laughs> that they were also, um, and they were also rebuked by those men who had stood at the waters of Sebus and scattered the flocks which belonged to the king, for they were angry with Ammon because of the number which had been slain. So at this point, they're like, oh, this is happening because of all the people that Ammon killed. So now they're blaming Ammon. Surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> and anyway. Well, yeah, the, there's so many different groups of people. There are people who are blaming Ammon. Mm -hmm. uh, they're angry with him because he slew the people, um, their brethren, at the waters of Sebus. They're also mad at the king mm -hmm. because he slew his servants who had, you know, let their flocks be scattered. There are others who have like a very close issue um, or like because they're the kin of those that Ammon slew mm. with the sword. Um, there's also others that, uh, that think that later on it's the great spirit. They begin to kind of fall back into the false traditions of a great spirit who, you know, has always attended the Nephites, apparently. And so, mm -hmm. oh, of, of course we're being punished. Mm -hmm. It's the Nephites who always get the praise of God, you know? Well, and I like what you said. So one of them, you said, it, I forgot the word, how you phrased it, but close to? Yeah, the, it's a close issue for them. Yeah, it's personal. Yeah. Very personal. Because um, in 22, one of those brothers who had been slain by the sword of Ammon 
Um, obviously, he's angry <laughs> with Ammon. So he sees Ammon laying down, not moving, <laughs> has an opportunity to kill him for what he did, right? Uh, and so he's, he decides that he's going to slay him and he lifts his sword to smite Ammon, <laughs> but he, he falls dead. The guy who's about to kill Ammon. Okay. So not Ammon falls dead. This brother who was mad at Ammon falls dead. And <laughs> that's, that's gotta be trippy to the people who are here with all these opinions of what's going on. They're like, I would have been like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and we know why, because in verse 23, it says, now we see that Ammon could not be slain. So back to the promises that were made. For the Lord had said unto Messiah, his father, I will spare him and it shall be unto him according to thy faith. Therefore, Messiah trusted him unto the Lord. So because of the promise that was made to his father, he is spared, right? According to the faith. So that's pretty cool. Now here's where things get interesting <laughs> with this whole spiritually um, faith-promoting story. Mm. Somebody could look at that and say, well, hang on a second. Uh, my son went off to serve a mission and, uh, you know, he, he died in a car accident. Or he, he was murdered or something terrible. Um, why is it that Ammon is preserved in sway and not my son or my daughter? And and you could, there's innumerable examples of things like this. Well, first of all, the Lord spoke directly to Mosiah, right? If, if you simply prayed and hoped that these this thing would happen even if you are faithful um, and you're trusting your child to the lord at that time you know bad things can still happen but this is this is a very specific situation mosiah is also a prophet right mm -hmm. um he has an assurance from the lord and his Mosiah's faith that allowed him to let his sons go to do the missionary work also has something to do with this. Mosiah trusted him unto the Lord, not well, because everybody in our family has gone on missions and, you know, little Bobby is going to go on a mission now, you know, I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's a little bit different. And of course we don't understand all the things. Um, we don't, we don't always understand the timing of the Lord, but a wonderful thing that Shelby and I recently learned from Elder Bednar, <laughs> we love Elder Bednar, <laughs> is that no righteous man or woman who's keeping their covenants is taken before their time. Mm -hmm. So if little Bobby is out on his mission and he's living up to his covenants and he does pass away in the mission field, that was his time. His time. There's there was a real reason that that was the moment, and we don't understand all the reasons. Do you remember where we read that from? Yeah, we where can we watched it from. Yeah, it was in one of the. Uh, I think it was in this most recent face to face. Okay. Yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So if you have time, watch that. Um, very and very good. If we remember, we'll put it in. The show, show descriptions, notes. yeah, yeah. The notes. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot in this chapter. <laughs> I think the reason that I just wanted to go out on that little tangent mm -hmm. was because sometimes we th see things as faith-promoting stories. Other times we misunderstand them as a story that's supposed to be applicable to everyone. So I want to share something, and I just I just thought about this. Yeah. Um, say, uh, Kevin and I, we have uh, we're about to have a baby, a little baby girl, Adeline, and say she wants to go serve a mission, and she is in an area, and we get word that something happens, 
and they haven't heard from Sister Stanfield. You know, they haven't heard from Adeline. And I and Kevin and I are trying to seek um, just comfort from the Lord, right? It doesn't mean that the Lord can't come and use this example, maybe direct us back to Alma 19, this verse, verse 23, and draw parallels of Ammon to Adelin, and then basically promise with us in a way that, hey, I will spare Adelin, like I will, or I will spare him. Um, He can use these examples, those stories and promises that he's made with people in the past to maybe share with you, right? Now, that would, of course, have to happen by the Spirit and all those things that have to come into play. Um, So it's an example of using the scriptures to hear the Lord's voice, I guess is my point there. Um, And using a a story that was shared to then comfort us, right? Right. And of course, this is a maybe future scenario. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. (laughs) But anyway, my point is that he can use the words of the scriptures and the stories that we read to then comfort us in, in future times. But we have to be listening to that spirit. Yeah, we hear it. So, nevertheless, um, back to the scriptures in verse 24. After this happens, this man goes forth to slay Ammon, who's defenseless, and he himself is smote dead. Mm-hmm. Fear came upon them all, all the people who had been murmuring and questioning and coming up with scenarios and i see that as more astonishment Mm -hmm. they were again astonished which allowed some things to happen they began to marvel again among themselves what could be the cause of this great power or what all these things could mean just like i said if i were watching that and i had this opinion i'd be like whoa wait a minute that wasn't supposed to happen Mm -hmm. Right, because you have it going one way in your mind, and then all of a sudden, something happens that proves you wrong, and it causes you to marvel or be astonished, because you thought so strongly that something was going to happen one way, and it did not. And isn't it interesting as well how I, I started to think about how the Lord, He's absolutely teaching these people in a way that they will be best taught. This would probably not be the way that the Lord would teach a bunch of Western, you know, 21st century people. Right. That's why we don't see a bunch of people falling over as if they're dead all the time at church. (laughs) I don't really know what to say to that, to be honest with you. (laughs) I just, I'm just throwing it out there. Well, there's two reactions to this, two groups of people, I would say. There's those who then say that Ammon's the great spirit or that he's sent by this great spirit. And then there's those who say that he is a monster (laughs) and he's been sent from the Nephites to (laughs) torment them. So you get two reactions. There's probably some more in there that we don't know about, but I would say these are the main two. Um, Well, and even in verse 27... Some say that Ammon was sent by the great spirit to afflict them because of their iniquities, right? And it was this great spirit who destroyed so many of their brethren, the Lamanites. Mm -hmm. The contention became very sharp among them again. And this is the opportunity for Abish to come forth. So what's interesting is if I'm Abish... And I'm gathering all these people because I want to, I want them to see that this is the power of God because I know, right? She's probably seeing this like play out and going, no, 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 no. Like what's happening? Like I, this is not what my intent was, was to gather all these people and have them fight about what's going on because that was not her intent. So sometimes we think <laughs> we're... It, she is doing the right thing all along, right? She just kind of has to let it play out. And I think that's uh, patience in a disciple of Jesus Christ that we feel impressed to do something, 
but sometimes it may not look like it's going the right way, but it is. And we just have to trust and be patient. And so Abish has been very, very patient here amongst all the arguing that's been going on between these people. What I take away from this one spot in the story is that the Lord, he knew exactly what Abish needed. Because this isn't a story only about Abish. It's also not only about like Ammon and Lamoni and Lamona's wife. It's individual. Every single person in here who is allowing themselves to be astonished and not hardening their hearts because it is a choice, um, they're being taught something. And so all these things are happening. Um, Abish, she's exceedingly sorrowful, even unto tears at this point because of the contention. And, you know, she's kind of seen this roller coaster where the people are astonished, but then they're murmuring and then they fear comes upon them and then they begin to murmur again. And so she's like, when are they just going to figure this out? So mm-hmm. she goes forth and she takes the queen by the hand that perhaps perhaps she might raise her from the ground. I, I would say this is a beach acting on just the little bit of faith she has that just because of the word that perhaps she might raise her from the ground. She's just acting in faith. She doesn't actually know if it's going to work. Yeah. Anyway, I just had to throw that out there. And I, I, I think that's such an under, an underappreciated statement that you make. Like when, when we see these instances in the scriptures where someone is really just exercising that particle of faith, and they don't even know what they're doing. Like she didn't go forth knowing that this was a type of how Christ is, you know, will heal uh, the multitudes when he's on the earth. You know, she's just going forth and, and hoping. And it is that, that pure faith that the Lord loves. Mm-hmm. And it has to be coupled with action. It has to be, you know, not not just staying there, wallowing in your sorrow, crying, yeah. crying, but going forth and, and acting. And perhaps she might even be grabbing her hand with tears still down her face. Of course. <laughs> you know, she's just trying to do something um, to stop the contention. And as soon as a beast touched her hand, the queen arose and stood upon her feet and cried with a loud voice saying, O blessed Jesus, who has saved me from an awful hell, O God, or O blessed God, have mercy on this people. I would like to um, reference something from our good friend Paul Anderson from the the, Book of Mormon Study Notes. Yeah, his blog. And he talked about the significance of the name Jesus. And I've always wondered, because in the Book of Mormon, when the prophets like Nephi in the very beginning, when he learns what the savior's name will be. And when it's mentioned throughout the book of Mormon by name, by the name of Jesus, I didn't think about it before, but Paul, he talks about the significance of that name. He says that the name literally means in the Hebrew God saves, God helps, or God delivers. And the people, especially Nephi, who's very close to the Hebrew language, but also these people who have remnants of that culture, they know what that name means. And so by calling out the name of Jesus, the queen, she's, she's bearing testimony She's also, I mean, she's showing her conversion to the Lord and all that he's promised to do. So, <clears throat> thank you for that insight. <laughs> so she stands up and she she gives this powerful testimony. 
And as she does that, she then takes the king by his hand and he stands up on his feet. And his reaction, uh, it says, immediately seeing the contention among his people, went forth and began to rebuke them and to teach them the words which he had heard from the mouth of Ammon. And as many as heard his words believed and were converted unto the Lord. So I just think it's cool that that one little act of grabbing the queen's hand and she stands up and the queen did the same thing to her husband and he stands up and he immediately, because he's the king um, and these people obviously probably trust him, right? Or have trusted him up to this point, um, sets the record straight and says, no, here's, here's what's going on and repeats everything that he has learned and come to know himself. And then I love the phrase at the end of that. And as many as heard his words believed and were converted unto the Lord. Um, but there were also those who would not hear his words and they went away. So once again, there's two different types of responses those who believe and those who walk away. <laughs> and the key here is those who hear his words. Some hear him and some don't. So some choose to be converted and some walk away. And that's in verse 31 and 32. And so a mighty change is wrought among the people. In verse 33, after... Ammon well, arose. Yeah, I was like to say, don't forget, Ammon stands up. We don't know how, but he's up somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I guess he just came to. Probably. He arose and also administered unto them, and also did the servants of Lamoni. So they also come around. And they all did declare, or they did all declare unto the people the self-same thing, that their hearts had been changed, that they had no more desire to do evil. And I would say that's the most, that's the most miraculous part of the whole story. Yeah. You know, like. I would agree. Um, th this, this change, the sanctification. This repentance. Right. That's all it is. They had a change of, well, I say that's all it is. Like, that's all it is. But I mean, repentance means to turn, to change you know, to turn towards God, to change your thoughts, behaviors, and beliefs, even your attitudes. And that's exactly what they did. <laughs> they did it through this really amazing experience. Um, and this is definitely not the norm, right, of, of experiencing repentance. Um, but it's usually in small daily actions that we begin to change. But yeah, they had no more desire to do evil anymore. And I think the reason that I say that's, to me, the most miraculous part of the story is that the most that we can hope for is for the the Lord to really change our hearts and that we can be more like him and be more, more used by him. Mm. And the only way we can do that is if, we're thinking a little bit less about ourselves and more about other people. Yeah. And they also declare to everybody there, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, actually, it says unto the people that they had seen angels and conversed with them, and thus they had told them things of God and of his righteousness. So some of the people there saw angels. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, though. Hmm. Interesting. So you think of the various methods of conversion. Even in this story, there were things that we were not even aware of that were happening. And only now, after it's over, people come and say, oh, an angel ministered unto me while all this was going on. So, again, the Lord knew the needs of everybody there. 
I, I'm only bringing this up because I have a class on this, but there's a chapter in Elder Anderson's new book, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. It's chapter 17, and it talks about how angels can play a role in repentance. And these can be literal angels um, from heaven that these people, I'm assuming these people saw in their visions, right, and converse with them. They can also be people in our lives, um, you know, our parents, our, our siblings, um, angels. And there's something, there's just something cool about angels and how they involve, how they are involved in repentance. And they can be family members that have passed on. So these angels could have been, I venture to say, could have been some of these people's family members, you know, coming to them and sharing them or sharing the message of the gospel with them. So anyway, it's just an interesting, if you want to read more into it, read chapter 17 in Elder Anderson's book, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. I just felt like I should share that. <laughs> it's a good study. While we're plugging apostles' works and, <laughs> and addresses, there's also a wonderful talk given by Elder Holland to... Uh, church education system, institute, and seminary teachers back from, I think, early 2019. Mm -hmm. And it's titled As Angels and Astonishment mm -hmm. or Astonishment and Angels, whichever way you're on. And that also goes very wonderfully with some of the things that we've talked here, talked about here. And then also that, that chapter from Elder Anderson's book. It is Angels and Astonishment, Elder yeah. Helen, if you YouTube it. Oh, it's wonderful. So, of course, what usually is the outcome of these wonderful things that happen when people are changed? Um, people get baptized. <laughs> well, and yes, the baptism is so important. I've lately been thinking of the, when you said that, like, what's normally the result of these things? And I was going to say, people make covenants. Mm. And of course, that's exactly what baptism is. Yeah. It's a, it's a covenant that you make with the Lord through that ordinance. Right. But just to, because we have a little extra time, just to really share my thoughts on that. All these wonderful things happen. These people are converted to the Lord, but that's not all that has to happen. Like the Lord's not satisfied with everyone just having this amazing spiritual experience and then them coming to themselves and saying, Hey, we're going to change them. We don't, we don't have any desire to do evil anymore. And we're just going to live in harmony for the rest of our lives. Those things, those things fade. I mean, I, I hate to say it, um, but that they had no more desire to do evil, so unlikely that that was for the rest of their lives. I mean, okay. It, it, if I can put like a disclaimer on there, okay. Does it impact? Does it possibly impact the rest of their lives and, and the way that they behave toward others? And and they can always use this memory. Well, in as much as they remember it. Right. But that's not enough for the Lord. He wants you to make a covenant, a sacred, solemn oath. And that's what is done through baptism. What were you going to say, Sean? When I was when I was like, oh, this was this wasn't a lasting thing. You mm -hmm. know, they probably, you know, you, a you, re you redeemed yourself. <laughs> well, and I saw that I saw it coming because my thought is a couple months after one of those servants probably got into a little argument with his wife or something, you know, and yeah, or because they're fallen men yeah. and women, all of them. So we, the, the Lord knows that better than anybody. Yeah. And so the, the gospel laws and ordinances are there to continue um, to keep us on a path uh, of righteousness. And that is the covenant path. And 
part of that covenant path is baptism and, and church, right? <laughs> right. And it does say, and they became a righteous people and they did establish a church among them. Mm-hmm. So those things are put into place. So that way, when they do mess up again, because we're fallen, that they can get right back on the path and and repent again and not have their old ways creep in, right? And it, I guess 36, I'll just read it. 36 is legit. Verse 36. Yeah. I'm going to read it. And then you tell me why you think it's legit. I'm going to read it first because I think we should hear it. And thus the work of the Lord did commence among the Lamanites. Thus the Lord did begin to pour out his spirit upon them. And we see that his arm is extended to all people who will repent and believe on his name. So it's a beautiful promise. It's also an example of, and thus we see. Yes. That Shelby loves so much in the scriptures. There's a lot of these in this chapter. I keep going. But it's kind of broken up a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? It's, and thus, and then we drop down, we see that his arm is extended to all and, and so on and so forth. But there's, there's like this big, it's a big meaty, and thus we see. Yeah. We, when you look for and and thus we sees, usually they are put together like that. This one's a unique one, but that's something really important that the Lord is pointing out in the scriptures when you see that there. Um, and thus we see, look for it. You'll find them, I promise. <laughs> and so um, the one that I take away here is that it's twofold. The spirit is being poured out, poured out upon the people and his arm is extended to everybody who will repent and believe on his name. And that's the continual theme of the Book of Mormon, that if you just reach out to him, and thus we see you, his arm is right there for you. He is just waiting for you um, to repent and to change. And it could be you need a very big change in your life, or it could be little things in your life. But either way, it doesn't matter. It's the same principle as we constantly reach out to the Savior. He's right there with us the whole time. And it's no matter what you've done, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter who your parents were, no matter what culture you're in, that is one of the the complementary, like you're saying, complementary lessons that goes along with every book of mormon chapter and verse Mm -hmm. is that yes some people are not in this ideal situation or ideal circumstances to receive the fullness of the gospel if you're only looking at it from a worldly perspective if you're only looking at it as as a respecter of persons that's not how the lord looks at these things He sees it as uh, an eternal progression for each individual uh, son and daughter of Heavenly Father. Because he knows that his power can be manifest on earth in your life and after this life. If there's one person who has a perfect testimony of the atonement of Jesus Christ... It's Jesus Christ. Yeah. He knows what it can do. He wants to show us what it can do. Mm-hmm. And he does that through the ministering of the Holy Ghost and all these different methods of teaching. You know, that, and, and that's, that's, where, that's where we do see the Lord in this story. So I want to say one last thing in closing. I've said this, I said this back in the first part of Alma 19, our first run through halfway. Um, This is just one faith promoting story. Okay. Of Ammon, King Lamoni, his wife, Abish, and all the other people that we do not know their names who were converted unto the Lord. And I said 
I think I said something along the lines of, you know, this is divine design. All these things had to be set up at certain places and certain times for all of this to eventually come together and be orchestrated for this, for this to happen. And so my question is, if the Lord can do this for, for a group of people like the Lamanites and specifically, you know, down to every single individual person in the story and some that we don't even know their names who are converted, why can't he do that in your life? What's he orchestrating in your life that maybe you're missing right now and you just need to look a little bit, right? And so I know I know he orchestrates your life. I know there's things that are happening in your life that are preparing you to become a better person if we only look and act, right? There's people being put in our lives and, and things, but it's up to us to to recognize that um, and act and then repent because repenting should be happening every single day or single hour, minute um, of becoming better. So I just, I just know that that's happening in every single, every person on this earth. It's happening in their life right now. Something's being orchestrated for years down the road. So I just share that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So next time on the Book of Mormon podcast, we're going to be discussing chapter 20. Uh, that's kind of how this works. We go from <laughs> one chapter to the very next chapter. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, after all these things happen in the land of Ishmael uh, among King Lamoni and his wife and Ammon, the Lord sends Ammon to Madoni. That divine design continues, just by the way. Yeah, get ready to keep mm. pulling Hint. that thread. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I got to say. So we'll see you all next week on the podcast. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.